Welcome to Writers Talking TV, brought to you by the Writers Guild of Canada. I'm Cal Coons, and today you'll hear me in conversation with Aaron Martin, showrunner of Slasher. Slasher is a psychological thriller series about a young woman who returns to the small town where she was born and where her parents were murdered. You know, that's not going to work out so well. And sure enough, history begins to repeat itself with a series of copycat murders. Aaron has described Slasher as a modern-day monster story, saying that the monster in Slasher is all too human. You'll hear more about that in the podcast, and more about the craft of writing a TV horror series. But now let's cut to the chase, so to speak, and get to the conversation I had with Aaron. Uh, Aaron Martin is an award-winning television writer, producer, and showrunner, most recently created and was the showrunner on the new super channel NBC Universal Chiller horror series Slasher, made by Shaftesbury Productions, Shaftesbury Films, I guess. Prior to that, he was a consulting producer and writer on the hit space sci-fi series Killjoys for Temple Street. He was an executive producer, showrunner on the first season of CTV NBC Supernatural medical drama Saving Hope. Um, the pattern's beginning to form here. He was served as a executive producer, showrunner for the entire run of Being Erica. That's for CBC and SoapNet. And the first four seasons of Degrassi, The Next Generation, which he also developed. And during his time on Degrassi, the series garnered numerous international awards, including a TV Critics Award and Teen Choice Award in 2005. And he was just also created and was showrunner of the best years. Uh, yet another show for global... And uh, the end, uh, and it goes on like that. And he has a bunch of awards, like, uh, yeah, yeah. So he's somebody who seems to know something about what he does, and uh, he's a good guy to know. Um, so anyway, thanks for coming, Aaron. Uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's let's uh, just uh, start by telling me about how your background. How did you get into writing and and eventually into show running? Uh, so I've, I've been writing my whole life. So when I was in high school, I was writing silly plays and stuff like that. But then I went to, uh, Queens University and did my degree in theater. And, um, at that time I wanted to be an actor, which is ridiculous because I'm the worst actor in the world. Um, but so I did, uh, then I focused on playwriting by the time I was done my degree, uh, at the film at, at, sorry, at Queens, um, and thought I wanted to be a playwright and then kept getting the, um, feedback that my scripts were too TV. So, <laughs> so they were telling me that I shouldn't, do, I shouldn't do theater. So then I went to the Canadian Film Centre in 1999 um, for film writing. And then when I was graduating from there, Degrassi was hiring new writers to develop it, and they hired me to, to come on. And so that's, that really launched my career. And I had this weird situation where the showrunner of Degrassi uh, left after like two months, and then they said, well, you can run the writing department. And I didn't know anything about, <laughs> about anything. So... It was it was uh, sink or swim, I guess. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful. That's a good story. Yeah, it was. It was. I'm really, you know, I, I have to thank the film center and Linda Schuyler for, for those chances. So, so, how did how did um, you know? Somebody once said to me that the easy job is the first job, hmm. uh, in a funny way, because then the second one is you got to get hired by people who don't know you, or aren't your friends, yeah. or aren't doing you a, a, a favor. So, how did you? How did you? The, the career unfold after that? Um, yeah, well, I, I did the four years of Degrassi, and by the end of the fourth year, I was like, I don't want to do and nothing against teen TV, but I didn't, I'd relived high school, so I didn't want to redo that again in, in another show. And so the N, which was the, um, the U.S. broadcaster, was looking for a, a 
college version of Degrassi, and they wanted a, a half hour version, but I said to them I'd really like to do an hour, because I was thinking about what I wanted to do, which was I want to do hour-long drama, so I convinced them to let me develop an hour-long version of it, and then that sort of broke me out of the teen half-hour mode and went into uh, into an hour-long mode. And so I was, you know, I just, I guess I was always thinking about what I wanted, which was to run hour-long shows, and, uh, and then from there, um, being Erica, Janice Senior, who created Being Erica, she needed an experienced showrunner, and we she'd worked on Degrassi with me, so she asked for me to come on board, and, and I love the pilot, so I was like, yeah, I'll do that in a second. And then so then it's just been from there, I've been, I guess I broke into the hour-long um, showrunning mode. Right. Yeah. And it, do, you, do you think that still exists, that there's a, there's a real definite um, sort of difference between half hour and one hour? Uh, how's it, how do you feel about that? I think in Canada you can you you're more likely to be able to break out of out of um, whatever you've been slotted into far easier than in the states probably. Um, I think that it is hard to go from younger story younger shows to uh, adult shows. I think it's still a bit. I think you still have to prove yourself. You'd have to write like a spec or something that's not in that that mode to to convince someone like me to hire you. Right. Okay. We'll get back. Uh, I think we'll talk mm -hmm. a, a bit more about about uh, th that kind of end of the business uh, after we've screened the show. But um, let's uh, let's uh, talk about Slasher. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so, what were its origins? Um, how did uh, uh, you know? How did you choose? Like, we don't see many, if any, true horror thriller uh, type shows, and uh, yet here it is. Um, so, how did it? How, what were your um, what were your thoughts when you said, hey, I think I want to do this? Uh, I had actually pitched the idea to my American agent in L.A., and he said that there was no... That was before American Horror Story came out. So he said "There's horror is not a genre that people are doing on TV. Um, so I, I'd always... I'd always wanted to try to combine um, an Agatha Christie novel with a slasher movie, which is what this really is. Um, and so I did uh, the first season of, of Saving Hope, and um, was hired to show more when the ropes of how to be a showrunner. When I finished that, I was um, I was sort of left without a job, and I knew that I wanted to do something that would change up uh, what I'd been doing so far, because I've been doing very um, character, emotion-based storytelling. I'm not a procedural writer, so I wasn't going to write a cop show, and so I thought why not just write this on spec and then I can at least have a sample of, of writing that's different from what people think of me. And that's, that's how it started. And then um, Shaftesbury uh, read it and they, they jumped on board and I was like, oh, okay. And then they sent it off to, we sent it off to everybody in town and everybody liked it, but they were like, we don't do horror. Um, and then Sha uh, Super Channel read it and then they, I think they, Adam, who's here, who can verify for me, I think they basically read it and said, let's just do eight episodes. So it, it was like a weird, like, yeah. So, if, uh, so just so everybody at home can hear that, uh, Adam Haight, who's a producer of the show, uh, said uh, that um, Super Channel said, they said to Super Channel, uh, just order it do, and let's do it. And yeah. I guess they did. Yeah. <laughs> so I got a phone call saying, hey, we're going to do eight episodes. And it was very exciting and weird. It's, it's so uh, outside the normal range of how y one thinks about how you develop a, a show and how you get ordered. It's yeah. usually a long gestation period. I mean, it was a long gestation period in that I'd written it, I think, three years ago. Um, for me, it was long, but for everybody else, it was uh, suddenly we had a show going. Yeah. yeah, and is the lesson, if you don't write it, it, ain't, it isn't going to happen? Um, I, think, I, I think more and more, um, writing your own spec pilot can... Re can um, 
turn into a pickup. It, it's happening in LA a lot. It's it seems to be happening up here. So it's it's definitely it's it you know writing your own original sample does two things. It shows you what you can do as a writer if you're trying to get onto a staff, but it can also sell. Um, even if it only goes in development, you're still going to get paid for something that you wrote you know for free. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's that's wise. So so you get the development order and then. Um, what stage was the scripts at? Like uh, you, you actually did all of these scripts. You're you're the only writer on on it. So had you eight when you were ordered, or where were you at? Um, I, all I had when we were ordered is I, I had the first episode and I knew who the killer was, and then um, we brought in a bunch of writers to help me think through the big storyline. So Tassie Cameron, who's who's a good friend of mine, came in. Um, Paul Aiken came in. Uh, my friend Lucy Paget came in, and the three of us actually sat for a week and just broke the big, like, who dies when, what sin they deserve to die from. We figured all that stuff out on, on a grid, basically, across eight episodes. And then um, I took that and started breaking the episodes by myself. Because we didn't, we, it, was, it was just, we got a pickup and we had to start shooting, I think, by July 1st or something crazy. And <laughs> so we just, I, it was just like, Aaron just writing, I was just, I just wrote. <laughs> so, so then, um, uh, when you were breaking it, was there, uh, you know, um, did you run into conventions or or um, what were the, were there boundaries or limits like we ex you know feature film we live in a world of saw and um, you know uh, those uh, you know some fairly extreme forms of it was there a conscious barrier that you ran into or self imposed or you were given carte blanche no I mean if you watch the show there's some pretty gross <laughs> murders in it so nobody tried to stop me from being creepy so that's good um, yeah. <laughs> so so then um uh this this uh maybe unintentionally but but uh um fits into seems to me to fit into the new TV landscape in that it's uh, a limited series run uh single vision creator uh um you know, you know was that something you enjoyed or was it the I guess to me it was the question of is this a nightmare or or a dream to actually be the only writer on a project? I think it's probably both. It's um it, it was it was it happened so quickly that it was I never really thought about how crazy it was that I was doing it because we just had to get the scripts done because we actually block shot all eight so we we had to have almost every script ready to shoot from the first day of principal production. Um and that just meant I just had to, you know, crank them out. Um uh, the thing is, when you're a showrunner, as much as you can say it's a singular vision, there is there's it's a singular vision that's being supported by a lot of people who also have very good visions. So I I was lucky in that I had Adam Haight and I had uh, Craig David Wallace as our director, and the three of us were really the uh, um, the focus of the show. So the three of us together really made sure that this show happened. Right. Yeah. So uh, it's you know marketed quite often as a horror thriller, but when I watched it. Um, I really did feel it's a, it's a mystery at heart. Um, is that how? And you mentioned earlier the Agatha Christie thing. How did how did you approach tone and f and atmosphere and and balancing that out with uh, plot and device? You know what what were you trying to achieve? Uh, I guess I. I mean, my, my background is really character-based stuff so <laughs> and soap. So I was like, there's a lot of soapy stuff in that show. So there is a lot of interrelationship drama that goes on because I don't think you can support 
uh, eight episodes of just people being chopped up because that would be it would be boring after a while. And no, no, well maybe <laughs> maybe and not 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 that I could do it. And uh, I uh, I I was made fun of continuously throughout the shoot for my bad police work in the show. So there's <laughs> it really wasn't a procedural. So I was um, I basically went kind of just all out with. Um, as much twists and turns and mystery elements as I could, combined with really horrible graphic murders, uh, you know, every once in a while. At least one an episode. <laughs> the, it's interesting you say that because, uh, you know, I've found, I've, I've worked on a lot of mysteries over the years too, and, and, and one of the things that we often get bogged down in is, well, wouldn't so-and-so be thinking X and so, and they would logically do this and, and that? Mm-hmm. And like how... Um, in, in, and sometimes that's actually a break towards uh, on the whole process. You sometimes don't get out the best, uh, maybe the best impact. And um, mm. how did you, you know, did you just say to yourself, I just want this, I want the thrills to be the thrills? Or or, or how did you? Well, I mean, I sort of built into it a bunch of stuff to help me, like a bunch of um, tools, which is, you know, the, the one thing is that it's based on the seven deadly sins. So every episode was at least about, at least I had something to go from, which was episode one's about wrath and we'll see how does that play out and what, what does wrath mean? Episode two, which we're going to watch is about gluttony and what does gluttony mean? And so I was able to start with that kernel at least that sort of supported the, every other bit of storytelling. And the other thing that I was really lucky was that we were this was totally serialized so that I could put in like one scene that would play pay off three episodes later, which could, um, which for me was really fun to, it was really about, about plotting almost like an eight hour movie. So, it, I mean, there was definitely an A plot every episode that had a beginning, middle and the end was always somebody dying. And then, you know, uh, combined with that was whether or not Sarah was going to find out and the audience, audience was going to find out who the killer is. And so, the, and then there was a definite end point for me, which I also really like, which was that person is the killer, and Sarah's going to either um, uncover him or her, or going to be killed by him or her. Right. And in terms of, um, uh, it's a large cast, right? Mm. You yeah. know, like how did uh, how did you go about balancing and servicing all those characters, and yet move the plot through? Because it's there's a lot of storylines going yeah. on there. Um, I, I, I think it's because I started on Degrassi and we had 30 characters and it's just sort of been common for me. Just I'm just used to having different characters and, and a lot of them. But um, I, I, I guess, I mean, part of it was easy in that I knew who the victim were, victims were going in and I knew why they were being killed. So I was able to, I was able to make the characters um, based on something specific, which is, you know, what their sin was, why they deserve to die. And then I had the other characters who were red herrings, who I was able to build stuff around them as well. And even if they weren't going to die, they still had a point in the show. And then I had Sarah and her sort of melodramatic backstory that also branched out to a bunch of characters. So all together, they just all came together into this, um, yeah, I think we had 70 speaking parts, which... Adam that's will, will kill me for because yeah, um, it was very expensive. He's laughing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so now one of the one things also you're talking about it branching out, but did you actually um, are you did you start at the, with the with a resolution and work backwards? Did that inform how how you built the mystery or or, or and the scenes or was it kind of a combination of leaping backwards and forwards finding these like 
like they interweave between the different characters. Yeah, I, I guess it was there's two levels. So there, the ba- the main level of the series is that it's a person in the present killing everybody. The second level is that everybody deserves to die for a reason. And so there's a bunch of different mysteries that are revealed as the as the season progresses. And then the third thing of that is is a bunch of backstory and weird things that happened in the past that are still happening in the present. So those three all sort of were the three strata, I guess, of the of the series, and then I just meshed them all together. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, the other thing I, I think that's really interesting, you'll see when we screen it, is um, how, how you guys uh, uh, built tone and atmosphere and sense of place. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you did that, uh, the you, you know the process for 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 infusing the show with this uh, almost gothic, mm-hmm. you know, kind of looming uh, threat. Yeah, I mean, the look of the show and the tone of the show were really important to me from day one, and and it was it was um, part of the process of hiring our director um, who could pull that off. And Craig Craig David Wallace, who was supposed to be here tonight but can't, he's a huge horror fan, so. So I had general ideas of of what I wanted. Adam had a really good visual reference. Um, I can't remember the name of the who's the photographer. Yeah, Greg Gregory Hudson, something like that. He's he's a he does these beautiful but scary photographs that I think it takes him like two days to set up, and then it's just um, anyway. Gregory Crutzen, that's his name. And um, so we had that going into it. We hired Craig. Craig brought his whole you know he knows everything about every possible horror movie and and style. And then um, after that, the big the big hire was our DP, and I I made it um, I wanted to make sure that we didn't shoot it like a TV show. So there's no there's no like conventional there's no sets for one thing. We shoot it entirely on location, which adds a sense of place. Um, and then we hired a I think he's 25 year old guy who just left um, got out of Ryerson who who does mostly music videos and, and independent features, and he's just this sort of like amazing talented young guy who just knows how to light things almost all naturally and i think that also brings a, a level of of reality or or at least definitely tone to the show um and then our lead character like our lead actress looks like she stepped out of a gothic novel like she's got jet black hair and really pale skin and really red lips and she's got huge eyes so it all sort of um i think that all sort of came together to to make the show more than just the writing Right. Um, the, uh, well, I, you know, part, part of me wants to screen the, screen the show before I ask, ask you uh, some of these questions, but in terms of scripting, the visuals, the interstitials, the, the specifics, uh, is that something that uh, was, uh, was a, a scripted thing, or were those uh, things you... Uh, saw an edit and thought I need something uh, to add to, to it, uh, or, or how much was in in the original draft? Um, I don't like. You mean like the uh, like the establishing shots of the city and stuff like that, or do you mean the actual? Well, yeah, th- like the, I, I assume like for the pace, like of the, of the show, and uh, you know, I've always you know exterior city to establish. Mm, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. like like um, were you conscious of that sort of pace, or is that something that you? Let uh, that was found in the making of the show. I think it was found in the making of the show, but I think also like a lot of our references were uh, one of our big references was a movie called It Follows, and that has a definite um, speed to it that we definitely borrowed from. So there was some, and that has, and you know, there's some really beautiful. My, my one of my marching orders was would for 
for Craig and our DP was that I want to have everything be as beautiful as possible, despite it being a horror movie. And so even though it was dark and creepy, there's some really beautiful shots that are aesthetically pleasing, yet are slightly off and slightly creepy. So that, I think, I'm not sure if it was in the scripts, but it was definitely something that we all talked about. Right. So this is, uh, you know, in pre-production, you'll go yeah. over the uh, over the intent of yeah. how, how, how you bring these things to life. Yeah. Um, I think one thing that uh, we should let people know probably is that uh, you had two networks, that uh, Chiller in the States and Super Channel up here, with two very different uh, broadcast um, uh, lengths for mm-hmm. the for the for the show, quite 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 different. Uh, what's the difference in time? Uh, usually about ten minutes difference, which is huge. So that's substantial. So so we're going to when we screen this, we'll see the. Um, Super Channel version, yeah. which is about fifty minutes long. Yeah. But um, but I was curious, what what was what was your feel like, you know, between those two cuts? Was there, the, you know, like how did it affect your script? Um, I assume you wrote one script and cut it down rather than writing two scripts. Yeah, yeah, we wrote one script. I always started from um, a place of act breaks. Like like the chiller, the chiller version has commercial breaks. Super Channel obviously doesn't because it's a pay network. So I. I um, structured the show for a six-act structure, but I made sure that when we shot it that we could get rid of all those act structures and it wouldn't, you wouldn't no- notice it when you're watching the Super Channel. So I know the Super Channel is very happy that it didn't feel like there like it was kind of like fake act endies that were that were you know then just taken away. So we 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 every time that there was an act break that. Um, went over two acts, we would make sure that we shot it continuously so that there was no, that it was seamless for, for Super Channel. But it was, yeah, it was, and it was something that we found in the editing room, and um, ironically, the, 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 what happened was that we, we, we barely lost any scenes. It was more just about cutting down and pacing up the, the chiller version and making the Super Channel more the artistic, um, flowy, pretty version. Right, the true true detective-ish yeah. kind of pacing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I think we probably should watch this now and uh, take a take a look, and then we'll come back and we'll get into some more of the specifics and craft uh, questions. Is that okay? Perfect. Cool. Okay, thanks. So, uh, yeah, you know, congratulations. I think it's 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 really handsome, smart show. I find it actually, I, I suppose, maybe slightly embarrassing to say funny in quite a few places. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and I enjoy that. And um, uh, um, I just wondered if you'd talk a little bit more, Aaron, about um, your influences. I know you mentioned that it was a mystery. Uh, what, how much of a horror guy uh, were you? Uh, how conscious were you of the vernacular? And uh, um, and where did the crimes come from, research-wise, and all that sort of stuff? Um, uh, so I, for me, it's a combination of two things. It's Agatha, I'm a weirdly obsessed with Agatha Christie guy. I've, I've probably read almost all of her novels. I don't, for some reason, I've loved them since I was a kid. So I've always liked the, you know. Uh, was slowly figuring out who killed who and why and 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 that kind of side of it. So that was a definite influence. And then I grew up in the '80s, so I was you know I was a kid probably at the height of the um, the Halloweens and the Friday the Thirteenth and all those movies. So when, when I was a kid, we would me and my friends we would it was a thing you you know you'd have a sleepover and try to watch 
the movies and not be scared and not hide your eyes and not go to the bathroom when you were you know when you were too scared. So <laughs> those are the two things that uh, influenced me um, in terms of this. Um, and then the in terms of the crimes, actually a lot of the sickening, <laughs> sickeningly a lot of the crimes are actually based on real things. Mm-hmm. So like the. There, every year there's a woman or two women in the United States who have their babies ripped out of them, which is what the first crime is in the past. Um, it happens, it actually happens quite often, which is disturbing. The, um, what you just saw there with um, the cinder block going over the bridge, that happens quite often. So I, I used quite a few um, stolen from the headlines crimes to, uh, at least in the, um, at least in the, uh, the mysteries as to why people are, are deserving to die in the show. Right, and and are you are you in general a big research guy? Um, I I've always been sort of fascinated with serial killers because they're just I, the thing that freaks me out about them is that unlike you know vampires or whatever or zombies, they're actually real and they actually go around doing these horrible things to people. So that that that's always been a a, a, a fear of mine. So uh, in terms of research, I've I've read up on a bunch of serial killers and and what they would do, and um, this this show obviously takes it to a, a different level. It's it's not it's not it's not a, like a play by play of most serial killers. <laughs> yeah. It's a sort of greatest hits. Yes, yeah, the greatest, per- the, what they wish they could do. <laughs> exactly, yeah. or if they had a club. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how does um, let's let's talk a little bit uh, about about how an episode and how 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 it works. Um, you mentioned it was a six acts. Structure. Yep. Um, what's uh, what? Are you, what's going on in terms of um, A, B, C storylines? Is it is it thought? Did you think it out that way? Did you lay it out that way? Um, it's, I didn't think. Usually, I'm used to using A, B, C. I think this was more like A being the definite the um, murder of the week. Who's going to die? Um, and then there was a bunch of subplots below that. So I'm not sure there's ever a B. It was usually a big, you know, a bunch of Bs, a bunch of Cs, a bunch of Ds that would that would be peppered throughout the episode. Um. Uh, what else was I going to say? I was gonna, yeah. So that's probably the the main structure of it. the The other structure side of it is that I wanted to make sure that the start of every episode has some kind of scary jump, at least by the end of the teaser. Um, something kind of. Uh, I think in this one, it's the kid jumping out of the grave. Mm-hmm. So something that to just to remind the audience that this is also a, a you know a slat. It, it's at the promise of the premise, which is that there's going to be something ridiculous and scary uh, at the top of every episode. Right, and and in terms of um, how you're introducing and 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 dealing with characters, uh, so for instance, we've eliminated a character mm-hmm. uh, uh, with the strychnine poisoning. Uh, that storyline will it continue then on into three immediately, or is that something that plays out um, the same with the with the previous woman who was murdered? Is her death isn't actually dealt like? The mystery, other than finding the body of the husband, mm-hmm. isn't resolved immediately. So, how, have you? Do you continue to scatter out and reintroduce or introduce new characters? Um, yeah. So, th- I, when I was plotting out the season with with um, with the, the people that came in the room with me, we you know, there was definite mysteries that were solved. Like this one, yeah. Like the Verna McBride murder in the first episode, we figure out in episode two why she why she was targeted. So that that's played out. But there's. Um, there's, I guess, across the season, there's a bunch of mysteries that go across the whole season, and there's a bunch of little ones that start and stop, and ones that there's a big one that's introduced at the end of episode five that, um, when you look back, you'll see what it was. So there's there's a lot of um, the, the 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 Justin when you find out in episode three why he was targeted. It doesn't it plays in a bit into the broader um, mystery of of what the executioner is doing. 
but not not hugely. But it's still everything sort of has to come together and make some kind of sense. Right. It's it's um, it's interesting because uh, you know uh, a bit unlike a, a regular show, you 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 chose not to in um, episode one probably because there's so many of them. We didn't meet all the characters. We mm-hmm. we were we're meeting them and um, establishing a you know a, in most mysteries a traditional wheel of suspects. Yeah. They, they they were gradually meeting them. Was that again a, a conscious choice or or how did you uh, did you choose to um, to to lay those things out um, um, by I, feel or or by um, it was more about trying to follow what would. Rationally happened despite the heightened nature of the show. So to me, it didn't make sense. Uh, Sarah's running away from her grandmother in many ways uh, at the start of the show. Uh, that's why she's coming back to Waterbury. So it wouldn't make any sense to have introduced Wendy Cruzan's character in episode one. Uh, that's why she's in episode two. Uh, Anuka Akuma uh, arrives in episode four, and she and it makes sense. She comes in as a Nancy Grace type, so it doesn't make sense for her to be in the first three episodes because those the murders wouldn't have been big enough to get her attention and then she comes in and starts a whole other um uh, another kind of mystery uh, with some other, with uh, brandon j mclaren's character and, and make an character so there, yeah so i it was it was again it was it was me thinking you know we we have to keep this mystery going it can't just be murders of the week there has to be something that keeps getting the audience interested and so i did i did think about making smaller mysteries that would start have beginnings middles and ends throughout the season Right. Okay. So, so you've got your your um, eight scripts together. You've written them, and you set off for uh, Sudbury. And uh, um, what happens then? What's the process? So did, did you did you simply just film them? Or yes, yeah, just, I just I sat back and let the Craig do his. No, it was uh, it was we block shot this show. So every time you see the um, the um, uh, newspaper, for example, that we did we did all the newspaper scenes across eight episodes in three days. So it was. It was the weirdest shoot that I've ever been on for a show because you're used. To, when I'm used to doing the show is you prep and shoot, prep and shoot, prep and shoot. This was just sort of prepping and then <laughs> shooting. <laughs> and uh, so that meant is that there was a lot of um, changes that were made on the way um, when we were shooting because we didn't have all of our locations locked down. So um, yeah, so it was it was a constant like I, I kept rewriting the scripts to make sh- for a production really more the more the storylines were all set it was more about making sure that we could shoot this show the way we were trying to shoot it and with without having a a, a writing staff with you uh, so uh, did, you must have had someone help did you have a junior story editor or or a um a story coordinator how how did your story department actually work it was me and um, Dev Johnny Raha who was who was my savior thank god for her so she she kept me sane up there um, and then also there was, you know, it was, it was Craig and Adam. I mean, they were the other two people that were really, really making sure that, you know, I was kept on track in terms of what, what production and what directing side of things needed. Did, did the scripts change um, storyline-wise, or was it pr- mostly logistical? It was mostly logistical, yeah. There was, uh, there was some question of, uh, about parentage of certain characters that I went back and forth on, but no, for the, story, for the most part, the storyline stayed the same. And then episode eight, which was which was set three months after the end of uh, the um, what happens in episode seven, there, it, it was we knew that we'd go into fall when we were shooting. So I wrote episode eight so that it could it could take place at Halloween. So that one was more. Uh, I, I generally knew what was going to happen, but I I caught up to that while we were shooting. Right, yeah. and it's uh, obviously 
the eighth deadly sin. Yes. It was a rarely heard. <laughs> yeah. No one knows about it. I've introduced it. I've made it up. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's my Bible. I'll, it's, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, let's go back to uh, another thing that I, find, I found interesting was uh, go back to the different show lengths and uh, just talk a bit about you've, you've filmed the show, you've shot the show, you've got the two different versions in, for, in front of you. Um, how do you approach the editing room as a, both as a writer and as a producer? Is mm. uh, you know How do you view that? Is it a place you feel comfortable about? I think many younger writers maybe haven't really experienced it, and and, and the more longer you go on, to me, it becomes a bit of a re- rewriting process, actually. Yeah, I mean, I, I love editing is one of my favorite parts of the whole job. So I love, I love, I can sit in the editing room for hours, um, which I had to because we were doing two versions of the show. So um, yeah, I, I, I'm not. It's interesting because of a show like this, which isn't something I've done before. A lot of it was um, pacing to make the show scary, and how we uh, could achieve that. Because editing is so important for that. It's, I mean, it, obviously directing is important for that too. But you can really make or break a a, a sequence uh, in the editing room. Um, so that was that was probably a lot of our time. There, a lot of the scenes which were talky scenes, which fill up the rest of the show. The the soapy stuff was, you know, it was just you can only do so much with it. It was really about going in there and making sure that the pacing of the scares was there right yeah there's a there's a scene uh, two scenes in this one that i was curious about um and i think they had to do with truth uh, and and uh at one point uh tom tells her that he's the only man telling mm-hmm. her the truth and then but but earlier to that than that um uh the grandmother says you know, she says to the grandmother the only person telling me the truth is 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 Tom Winston mm-hmm. and I always I, I wondered when I watched it is uh, you know is that an editorial choice or was that something that you were playing with this idea of truth and who's um, what actually is truth or are those scenes actually did you flip order or no something? I mean I I can't remember if we flipped order in terms of the writing but it was Tom's not telling her everything and there is Tom has a lot of. Um, uh, He's 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 got a lot of of secrets that he hasn't told her, and the grand even though um, Brenda the, the grandmother is uh, a bit overwhelming for Sarah, she's at least always been upfront about her with almost everything, but not everything. So <laughs> basically, what he says at the end, which is that everybody has lies in this town, is true because everybody that gets killed has some secret that they haven't told anybody else about. It's kind of the ultimate. Backstory show, yeah. right? You know, <laughs> which is kind of nice. Yeah, and we, you know, in every episode we jump back in time somewhere to that backstory too. We show it on the on the screen. Yeah, like in, uh, you mean referring to the flashback yeah. with the, uh, and so does the flashback technique continue throughout? Yeah, every single episode. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Um, so looking back on your process, Aaron, um, y- you know, uh, would you? Would you attempt this again without a, a story department, or would you prefer to have a story department? Uh, you know, it's it's for season one. It made sense because it was it was really me um, bringing onto screen something that I've sort of been obsessed with, which is you know like a, like Agatha Christie and, and slashes. So that was very. I knew that I could do it in the amount of time that we had to do it. But um, season two, which I've already started developing, if we get a season two, um, has a lot of stuff that I can't do. Uh, you know, no writer can. I don't think can tap into every single aspect of, of human nature. And there's a very big part about sexuality in season two. So I, I need women writers in that room with me because I can't, I, I can't access that part. So there's, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't do it again for 
what I have planned for season two that way. It's not that I wouldn't do a season three that way, but definitely not not for what I have planned for season two. Right. Um, and how do you... Uh, so let's, uh, as you go forward, um, uh, what... You know, what sort of um, room, do you have a big room or small rooms? Uh, how do you like the room to operate? And and um, what's your, you know, opinions on outside writers, all those sorts of uh, things, that could, the, the, the makeup of the room itself? Um, I, I personally, and, and, and this is just my preference, it doesn't mean that it's the right way to do it. For me, um, I like to have three people maximum in a room. I don't, I, and I just find that when you have, like I've been in rooms where there's like seven people and I find that, there just becomes it becomes sort of everybody weighing in and there's no clear voice whereas if it's two or three people you can really get for me you can get a lot done um and it's interesting cuz like degrassi it was me and usually two basically we would split the room into two so there was two rooms of three people um being erica it was generally jana and i with with the writer that was going to write the episode so jana was the creator she and i were you know we would run a lot of the rooms um saving hope had a lot of people and it wasn't for me wasn't great but that's but for other people i know like for tassie cameron she loves to have big rooms and it works really well for her so for me personally i like to have one-on-one conversations with people and trying to figure out things and so you know what um uh, i'm just this is a bit of generalization just uh, tapping you uh for for your opinion and for younger writers who might be listening um what what's the best way to approach aaron martin to get on aaron martin's radar what are you looking for uh, spec scripts uh, um produced pieces uh, you know what what gets your attention um i for me i think it's it's your original uh, an original piece of work it doesn't matter if it's a tv show or a pilot or a movie or a play just something that really shows what your voice is um yeah, I mean that's that that I think I think that's the best way to go about probably approaching most people. I know there was a time when writing specs of existing shows was the thing to do, um, but for me, that all that shows is that you can copy somebody else's voice, which is which is important in a writing room. But I don't think at this point people are hiring for that anymore. I think it's really trying to find people who have distinct and interesting points of view on the world. Right. Um. Are you a, a proponent of um, you know junior writers giving uh, you know giving breaks to your um, uh, story coordinators interns? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, is there is a is there a route into Aaron's world that way too? Oh yeah, I mean I I I think every show that I've worked on, our coordinators risen up to become showrunners in their own right. Like Shelley Scarrow was my um, was was my coordinator on Degrassi in season one, and then she went on to run a bunch of shows. Um, my most recent coordinator be- before Devjani was a, a, a woman named Amanda Fahey, who's now uh, been in the story department in a bunch of shows. I really feel like it's 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 one of those jobs where you you can access the writing department. Um, the key to that job, though, is if you're not organized and you do that job, then you're going to make your showrunner hate you. So <laughs> so don't take that job if you don't if you're not organized because you don't want you, you want you want to be able to support that person's. Um, uh, goals of becoming a working writer but you also want them to do the really nuts and bolts job because that job is so important in in um 
when you guys were breaking this show or or even as you're looking ahead this uh, year two um how do how do people bring ideas to the table is it a is it a free for all pitch uh, best idea wins scenario or have you got a pretty um a pretty uh, um, solid idea of what of where you're going and the ideas fit into that I think it's a combination of both. Like in season one, it was the the framework was the seven deadly sins. So those were those were things that we couldn't mess with. Like there had to be an episode about each sin, and then it was more like, well, how can we kill the person most weirdly? <laughs> so there's an episode coming up that I didn't come up with the idea that it's um, a, a person gets paralyzed and put in a field with honey on their body and eaten <laughs> and is eaten alive by rodents. I find that funny. Sorry. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> I would always laugh at it because it was like it's so ridiculous, but um. That wasn't my idea. That was my my friend Lucy's very perverted idea, and I was like, "Yes, we will do. We will do the honey vermin death for you." <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which episode is that? <laughs> End of episode four. Episode four. And then okay. you see the results in episode five. <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, just in ge- uh, gen- a couple of general things, uh, are you are you a fast writer, or do you expect your writing staff to be fast? Like, what's the sort of time frames that you look for for you know, outlines and and drafts and turnaround. Uh, I think I'm pretty fast. Adam would probably <laughs> be able to answer. I, I'm I'm pretty fast. I I I don't know if I expect my writers to be as fast as me. I guess what what it comes to when you're a showrunner, what you expect or hope from your writing team is that they just try to give you as something that you don't have to rewrite from a page one. Like you don't expect your writing department to give you a script every time that it's just going to be something that, that you can shoot. Um, that's not, that's not the job and that's not my job either. My job is to, is to take what, you know, what the writing department gives me and, and then make sure that it fits into the show. Um, so any writer that can give me at least like 60% and, and quickly. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. So that you're sort of the Alan Ball school of, you know, take it to a certain point and then, and then I'll, uh, I'll uh, make it, what it is what the show is yeah and and it's not and it's nothing against the writing of the person it's just that you know uh, i believe that even though there is a show is so many people coming together there has to be one voice and if you don't if you don't follow that one voice and you get something that's sort of scattered and and not as strong that's my opinion but right yeah yeah um and, and, and this, uh, the show um, for a fifty-page uh, or fifty-minutes uh, show. How many pages were the scripts uh, kind of coming in at? They come in between fifty-four and fifty-six. Also oh, fairly lean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. Mm. And um, did you have a s- certain structure like weight on the on the act uh, sizes? Uh, do you do a heavy first act or anything? We like had that? to. We had to. There were certain structures that, that were important for the networks, so I didn't care if uh, an act was four pages or twelve pages. Um, but they, I think there was, I think we couldn't be shorter than four minutes an act, so we had to. And then you know, when you when you get into the editing room, then you change things up anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, yeah. I guess I guess the other thing we should really talk about is what. Um, uh, what's happening with the sort of web uh, uh, and uh, you know the, the the media side of it? Uh, is there uh, uh, any um, ins- uh, augs- um, ancillary mm-hmm. projects out there, and uh, how did you approach that? Um, we actually uh, had a really cool um, Oculus Rift version of the show, so you it became like a choose your own adventure, or choose your own way not to die or die, depending on what you want to do. Um, yeah, and it was they shot it. Um, 
I think we were shooting, we, we did a bunch of pickups in Toronto, and I think they shot it at the same time, plus some stuff up in Sudbury. Um, I didn't write that. I, I, I actually had Dev Johnny, speaking of, you know, helping, you know, junior writers come up, I, you know, I, I convinced Shaftesbury to let Dev Johnny, because she knew the show inside and out, to take that and run with it and, and write it. It's too, it's too bad. To, is, is Dev here? No, she's up, she's up in Perry Sound being a coordinator on another show. Oh, she's found her, her place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she has. But, no, it would be interesting to talk. I, I think Oculus Rift is, uh, you know, quite a, it's a real yeah. mind, uh, mind game for a writer. Yeah. Yeah, Curious I, 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 I didn't want to approach it. I was like, <laughs> I don't want to do it. Don't give it to me. No virtual reality. Yeah, it's too, but it was, yeah, it's, um, it, and it's so, it, it's, you know, the, the web is so important for shows. That was our main web component. Um, we didn't do webisodes. Uh, there, they had some. Chiller been, did a bunch of games um, that I again I ended up dying every time I played them. So <laughs> it's successful. Happens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I think we're we should uh, open the floor up to questions. Uh, I know there's a couple microphones coming around, and um, yeah, you know, feel free to uh, ask away here, guys. Uh, so, yeah, we've got uh, Natalie. Thanks. I had two questions. Um, I was wondering how many drafts you did to get to your polished draft. And then a totally unrelated question. Um, I know that you juggle a lot of different projects at the same time. So I'm just wondering if you do like one project a day or how, how you do that mind shift. Um, I think I got to quadruples in, <laughs> in the show, which is horrifying. I think we got to quadruple yellow on maybe ep on the episode one. and. <laughs> Nice. Does, yeah, it was. I was embarrassed, um, but that's because we, because we were block shooting. We just every time a change was made for a location, it, it reverberated across. Um, so those, I mean, I think in terms of like actual polished scripts and content, maybe uh, I don't know. I, it was such a hard. I, I just kept changing them. I don't know. Just a sec, Adam. Take the mic. Yeah, oh, this sorry. is Adam. Hate the it, producer. It just. I think that was a more the way we shot because yeah. I actually found the material stood up really well from first draft. So mm -hmm. probably less revisions, partly because it was serialized and didn't have the, the the episode of the week. But it but it stood up really well. So I would say across the shoot, all that was a function of prep shoot while we went through yeah. the eight. But but it stood up really really well. Isn't the real writer question, how many did you have to do before you got to production? <laughs> before you said, let's, okay, well, this, is, this is a production draft. It, it was so fast that I, it, there actually wasn't a lot of time to do that. So it was like, <laughs> we have to kill people every week. Um, it was, yeah, and, you know, and we had really supportive broadcasters, too, who didn't notice the death. They were, like, both, both of them were great. They were just like, you know, we, they, I think it's because I had, you know, I, I delivered a spec script that they both really liked and they understood the vision so it was sort of there wasn't that kind of like we're going to develop this together and we're going to fight about what the show is it was sort of like this <laughs> is the show and yeah. this is what we're going to keep doing so um yeah and then the other half of uh, natalie's question uh how do i uh i in terms of juggling i i yeah i try to do um i don't try to work on the same project on the same day because it's too hard uh right now i'm i've got i'm like I delivered a pilot last week and delivering one this week, so I was able, luckily, to do that one, finish it, and now I'm doing this one and finishing it. So a pilot a week is what you're yeah. doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's a good that's pace. All. That's a good. Well, that's <laughs> pilot a week at the final result of it. It was. It's been both of them for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. More questions, please. Anybody? 
I noticed that you have a lot of actors who've been in other shows. Did you write with them in mind, or did it just work out that they were the right fit? Uh, I definitely wrote with them in mind. I, I called in a lot of favors. So, um, yeah, like Brandon J. McLaren, I think this is the third show I've worked with him. I, I just love him, and we get along really well. Um, Aaron Karpluck, obviously, I worked with on Being Erica, and Wendy Cruz and I worked with on Saving Hope. So those are the three... Those are the three big favors I called in. But there's, if you watch the whole season, there's a bunch of Degrassi actors here and there, little parts. Um, uh, yeah, I, I like I, I, when you find actors you really like, you want to keep working with them. Did you have much um, time for table reads and hearing stuff and doing rewrites, or was that all off the? <laughs> we off we to didn't have table a table read for any after over here from <laughs> the producer. <laughs> I kept asking for one, but we we never got one. Well, we couldn't because we our actors. Because we block shot it, a lot of actors only came up like they would come up for like two days. So we never had like a cast that was there at the same time. Right. Yeah. So it, it, so even keeping your leads around, I suppose, was a big deal. Just the only people we had around for, I mean, Katie, we had Katie, who's Sarah, we had for the whole shoot. Brandon, um, who played Dylan, we had for a lot of the shoot, and then everybody else just fell off as as we could get them. Yeah. Do you do you in general do table reads? Do you oh, yeah, like yeah. like the process? Yeah, I love the process actually. I think it's it's such an <laughs> telling Adam this. It's such an important part of it because you you hear what the the show sounds like, and if you have actors who come to the table ready to perform, you can you know you can you you get to hear what doesn't work, and you get to hear what's hard for them to say, so you're not doing it on the floor. And uh, and do you do it at lunch? So you yeah that you whole kinda, thing. Kinda everybody's really focused. Yeah, yeah. but you know the weird, I was spoiled on being Erica. Aaron Carpluck would come in. Basically, she'd almost had the lines memorized, and so mm -hmm. she would come in and perform, well, and it was just, and then everybody else stepped up their game to almost at her level. So because we, she set the yeah, yeah, she she set the tone of the show and and every every aspect of that show. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, any somebody else? Uh, Aaron, I know you said you didn't get noted to death from the networks or anything like that. And and when the room broke up, um, where you sent the writers off to to work on your drafts, did you then send those those drafts back to those writers to get notes from them, or was it? Yeah, um, not from Tassie. She she weighed in on I think every script except maybe I think by the end she wasn't available anymore. So Tassie weighed in on 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 a big majority of them. And then, you know, obviously uh, Shasbury and Craig and everybody internally weighed in on the show. But our, but our networks were, you know, they were, they gave notes, but they just, they didn't, they didn't do that thing where you, which everybody's, you know, in, who's worked in this country's dealt with, which is crazy, crazy amounts of notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll seeing if anyone else. Um, so, if if uh, where where's where's the process at for season two? Are you um, are you writing now or breaking or um, and uh, what's the game plan going forward? So we're still waiting to hear if we're going to get a season two. Um, but they gave money for me to write the pilot of because it's a whole. So this show is to, is um, an anthology. So each season's its complete story. So season one, everything gets wrapped up. Season two is an entirely new murder, entirely new killer, everything. New cast. New cast. New ca I might uh, ideally, I would be able to do like an American Horror Story version where I bring back um, as many of the cast as I can in different parts. But um, yeah, so they gave me money to write the pilot and then break the next two episodes, which has all been handed in. 
And is it another eight, eight, yeah. to eight, eight shows? Yeah, another eight episodes. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Is uh, is that is that time frame enough or too much? Eight hours, or do you like it? Did it work eight, out? Eight's, eight's awesome. It's like it's the best thing. It's like you get done. Suddenly you're done. You're like, oh, I don't have to write anymore. It's and, and then you've you've you've. It's just enough time to for a show like this to make it. Not feel ridiculous that that the army hasn't come in and you know shut down the city, because <laughs> it's like well, there's a guy killing everybody or a guy or a gal. So yeah. it's funny because uh, it's interesting. Uh, like I found personally, you know, when I watched say True Detective, yeah, that it felt just a little too long. Mm. Like the was that ten? Or was that it was ten? It was yes, 10, yeah. yeah. And it sort of at a certain point you felt that it was, you know. Recycling stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd like to go back though before we're very close to wrapping up. And again, guys, if you know anybody has a question, just yell it out. Uh, but um, but I'd, I'd like to go back and talk about episode one a bit mm-hmm. because I'm you know uh, have seen enough shows now to to you know really the trap of episode one mm. and, and and how you got to show up efficiently. Um, do you have an approach in general for that episode? Because I think it, oftentimes it transfers to, you know, that combination of getting your vision and episode one mm. out cleanly will help get a, you know, clean the notes in general f- uh, mm-hmm. with the network and your actors because they see your vision clearly. How do you, how do you approach that pilot episode um, it's probably two things. So the the first part of it is that I got to write it on spec, so I wasn't trying to please anybody, and I wasn't trying, I wasn't worrying about anything when I wrote it, which in some ways is great because you don't you don't have to worry about am I setting up enough characters, all that stuff. So that was one part of it. But I've developed in the states, and I remember I can't remember which show when I developed it. They were basically basically the note was start in Act Two, like just throw out Act One in the teaser, make that your start, and. The the reason for that is because you don't. There's so much time in pilots where you set things up that you don't need to set up, it, and and people that don't know how to read scripts often ask for that, and they want all the setup stuff that the audience finds utterly boring. And then you've got half your script, you know, half your episode is just set up, and it's and it's a waste of time. So uh, I try to go with the idea that you just throw the audience into it and not and not explain everything as much. You right. try. Have have you heard had feedback from the fans and how it's how 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 it's um, been um, received with the horror fans? Yeah, I mean we got uh, yeah the horror fans seem to enjoy it. I mean I think I think they're you know it's hard when you're calling a show slasher, you're sort of setting up expectations like uh, and and it and I hate titles so that's that's I didn't mean to call it slasher because it's supposed to be the epitome of a splash of all slashers ever. Um, so you get people you know you like didn't. saying no. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, um, yeah, but you know it's it's been pretty positive. I mean, a lot of the horror blogs have really liked it, so that's good. Um, there's always you know there's always curmudgeons online, but yeah, occasionally okay. I've noticed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's you know now in this especially the, I, this I think this is the first show that I've worked on when Twitter has become something big. I, I think Saving Hope. And I don't think Saving Hope would really grab that kind of audience anyway, necessarily. So, uh, and Killjoys, I wasn't involved enough to really pay attention to it. So it's sort of been weird for me watching fans interact as the show is being aired, which is weird. Yeah, you can see it live, yeah. real, real time as yeah. it's going down. Yeah. yeah. Do you participate with them, or do you just observe? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I, yeah. If I, 
yeah, I, I, it's sort of interesting. It's it's a weird. I just want to, I, I just want to make sure that I would never let that influence what I'm writing. Right, which right. is the danger. Right. Um, sorry, did anybody else have any questions? Um, if not, um, I just yeah. Sorry, there is somebody. Lights. So when you're writing something like this where you have eight episodes to write and it's a lot of work, do you kind of lock yourself in a room? Or do you like to go out to write? Or what's your kind of process when you're writing? Uh, I, I usually go to a coffee shop. I hate sitting at home writing. It, I, I just I, I feel like I'm in a cave and I don't like it. So I, <laughs> I go out. There's a couple of coffee shops in town that I sit at and they probably wonder why I'm there every day. Um, yeah. Um, and I usually I like distractions. I like I like places that have loud music. Or if I'm at home, I usually have the TV on when I'm writing because I can't. Quiet drives me crazy. <laughs> it's 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 so weird. It's like do you have like ten cups of coffee or are no? You I have one at the end of the day. <laughs> I have one that lasts all day. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like the worst. And the worst, the worst yeah, customer. I'm horrible. Yeah. You, you just got that space and all the stuff yeah. in the coffee cup. One coffee. One coffee and it's enough. <laughs> But it's interesting that you can do it w w with a, with distraction, with noise. Yeah, I think when I was a kid, I used to do my homework in front of TV. So sort of that's my brain needs that for some reason. Yeah, I, know, I know some people who are like, just got to be dead silence. Oh, yeah, I, could, I, would, I would never, I wouldn't be able to concentrate. Because I'd <laughs> be like, what's that? Where's, where's the murderer coming from? <laughs> There's a squirrel outside. Yeah. I got to go look. <laughs> um, so any, anybody else? Um. I guess you know. In wrapping up, how do you feel about the whole experience? Like, uh, how, how what was what was your takeaway? Uh, it was. I mean, it, I was. My takeaway is that I was extremely lucky that I got to do that show because it wasn't going to be made. There was no reason for it to be made. I wrote it on spec. So, and it was really fun. It was. I mean, it was. It was crazy because we block shot eight episodes up in Sudbury, um, and didn't shoot it like a normal show. So there was a lot of things that were going against us. But it was. It was probably the most free freeing or um uh i guess free version of working in this industry that i've had in 16 years so it was really great yeah so is there you know obviously as as the budget and the workload become become budget becomes lower workload becomes higher yeah freedom uh, yeah there's something to be said for shooting a show on a shoestring because you don't because nobody can really nobody hasn't can, has given enough money to be able to be uh, a dictator, except for <laughs> earn dictators. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> stripes. Yeah. And um, so, moving forward, like, have, has it um, has it affected how you're approaching your new projects, uh, or do you? Well, one of the projects I, I have a lot of violence in it, so I <laughs> it's like, oh, I know how to write that. That's good, <laughs> and that's that's a, an adaptation of a, of a book that there's a lot of violent stuff in it. Um, how, how else would it? Like well, I mean, I guess I mean in in. in Having tasted that much freedom, mm. are you experiencing that much freedom as you go forward? I'm only in development, so I don't. So so far, I you know it's it's the two projects that I'm developing right now. I've, I've are both adaptations, so it's again it's a different something that I'd never done before. And there's um, both authors that I've been working with have been really really open and great about me bringing my stuff to what they've already done. So uh, yeah, there's been a lot of freedom in that too. Right, yeah. and if I asked you to just put out the crystal ball for a little bit like do you what where do you see kind of television going in the in the next in the foreseeable future do you see shows these sort of eight episode uh single vision shows or 
growing um, or do you feel what, what's your what's your feel of the pulse I, of the industry right now? I think that there's always going to be the the um, broadcast network 13 or 22 episodes because those those shows there are audiences that come every week to watch those so there's a lot of those that are still going to happen but I think they're I think we're at a point in the industry not just in Canada but in the world where you can do four or five episodes of a show and just that just be it it's sort of like what the Brits have been doing forever Netflix or um, any of the other uh, online broadcasters even some of the smaller cables let you just do that and you know some stories only should be eight episodes like mm -hmm. there's there's some shows where you're just like just stop doing that show and they don't stop <laughs> please yeah, yeah like um uh, like with being erica even i mean we did four seasons and and by the end of the fourth season we we're like we don't have anything else to say about erica she's if she can't you know do a job interview without falling apart then her therapy is really bad <laughs> so yeah so it's there's some shows that should end and, and that's why you, you can do that with the, with the smaller order Right, that's yeah. great. Um, last thing, I guess, uh, uh, what's a, what advice would you give? You know, writers looking to to get their show made, uh, get on a writing staff. You know, um, uh, you know, just becoming a better professional. Um, there's a few things like we'll keep writing. Write. That's the, that's it. that's your best way of doing. We're, writers are lucky, unlike actors or directors, because we can sit in a room and write for free, and it doesn't cost anything. So so just keep writing. Um, the Canadian Film Center is a really good resource. I, I went to the CFC and, and I got hired on Degrassi out of it. So that was that set up my career. Um, and then the other uh, two other things is don't be competitive with other writers in a weird backstabby way because it's too small of an industry to do that and people find out. And then if people do give you notes, then not to, you don't have to take every note, but at least don't ever. If you want somebody to give you feedback on something you've written, then listen to what they're saying. And don't get your backup ever. You don't have to take their notes, but don't be a dick about it. Which, you know, <laughs> which surprisingly happens. You're like, why are you being such a dick about this? You, you asked me what I thought. So <laughs> anyway, those are my, th yeah. Well, great. Uh, we'll try not to be dicks about yeah. it. <laughs> don't be dicks about it. Yeah. <laughs> great. Well, I think uh, last, uh, you know, Thanks again, uh, Aaron. It was terrific uh, bringing, bringing this episode. And um, I hope uh, best of luck for season two. Thank and uh, thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks to the Writers Guild. It was really good. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. You've been listening to Writers Talking TV featuring Aaron Martin, showrunner of Slasher. Writers Talking TV podcasts are presented by the Writers Guild of Canada. All the Writers Talking TV podcasts can be found on the Writers Guild website, wgc.ca, and at iTunes. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share your feedback at iTunes or email writerstalkingtv at gmail.com. That's writerstalkingtv, one word, at gmail.com. Special thanks to the team at Tiff Bell Lightbox and to Shaftesbury. The podcast technical producer is Philip Vukovic. I'm Cal Coons. Thanks for listening.